Welcome to the Create a Relationship You Love Summit. I'm your host, Andrea Carella, and the benefits of the summit are to help couples create satisfying, authentic, harmonious, and passionate relationships. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Kim West, and she is the creator of the original, gentle, and proven method to get a good night's sleep for you and for your child. Today, we'll be talking about how to have a strong and loving relationship after the baby comes. And we will be covering what happens to a couple when the baby arrives and how to maintain a strong and loving relationship throughout the process. How to delight in your baby and support healthy sleep patterns. The realistic expectations for your baby and sleep. And how to promote healthy sleep habits for your baby and as he or she ages so that it does not interfere or impact your marriage negatively. Welcome to the Summit, Kim. It's so wonderful having you on today. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about what happens to a couple when the baby arrives? Yes, absolutely. I wanted to reference a a really great source. The Gottman Institute, I believe they're out of Chicago, has really wonderful, they're very well known for their couples therapy training programs. And they also wrote a book based on a 13-year study called And Baby Makes Three, a six-step plan for preserving marital intimacy and rekindling romance after baby arrives. It's really great. It's a really great book. And I'm not selling it because it's not mine. <laughs> right. I just think it's really, it's not, there's not many books like this for, on this topic. And one of the, some of the things that they talk about that I just wanted to, to share here in this interview is some of these statistics. And that's that 3.6 million babies are born every year in the United States, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And two-thirds of those couples uh, who are surveyed after they have a baby share that their relationship satisfaction has dropped since mm-hmm. having a baby, mm-hmm. that there's more fighting there's less emotional intimacy, they're exhausted, there's less appreciation for each other, and that postpartum mood disorder is more common. Of course, not only from having the baby, but from the exhaustion. That irritability from being sleep deprived uh, and fighting about housework and all of that's accentuated. Mm. And of course, they also talk about how this affects the baby. Because when we are unhappy in our relationships, and of course, if we are experiencing postpartum mood disorders of any kind, that will also affect our our baby and our relationship. And that the parents tend to be less responsive to their baby, or when they respond, it's sort of like a mismatch, and it affects their emotional and intellectual development. And they even talk about how babies who are around couples who are fighting that their blood pressure rises. And Mm. so it was really an incredible take-home message, even though I think that a lot of us in relationships and as as parents kind of inherently get that and understand that, like, well, that makes sense. Of course, my baby's affected by that. And yes, the first few years of raising children is really big challenge on our relationship. But I think it really sort of brings home or drives home the importance for our baby that really the best gift that we can give our baby is to have a strong relationship, which is why I was so happy to, to talk with you um, mm-hmm. about this, this topic in, in this telesummit. 
Mm. And of course, there are many elements that you could do. They talk about in this book about realizing you're kind of all in this together Mm -hmm. uh, and being a team and delighting and responding to your baby and working on how to resolve conflicts better and savoring your relationship, your friendship and creating zesty sex life, which sometimes can be hard to do when you're exhausted and you have a crying baby. And they talk about adding the importance of the father and then creating an enriching legacy, which basically is the point I made earlier, which is that that the greatest gift for our babies is a happy and strong relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, since you're the relationship expert and I'm the sleep expert, Mm -hmm. uh, I, of course, honed in on, on that part, on that how do we delight in our baby, which means having being emotionally warm and available and staying responsive to our baby's cues when we're so exhausted. Yes. Now, this is so relevant for me personally because my husband and I are pregnant. And so... Uh, congratulations. Yes. Thank you. We're about 14 weeks along in the process. And so for me, talking with you about this very important topic is... It's very meaningful because for me, my relationship is very valuable and I really want to maintain a, a strong and loving relationship throughout our lifetime. And and also when the baby comes into our, our lives to make that transition as positive for us and positive for the environment for the baby as possible. Do you have any suggestions on maybe in your own life when you transitioned into motherhood, how you and your husband cultivated that bond between you in in the process as you became parents? You mean once we had the baby or while we were pregnant? Uh, Once you had the baby. Yeah, yeah. Because that's really when the stress comes, (laughs) kicks up for a couple. Well, of course, I'm completely biased, hence my trademark name, The Sleep Lady, that that really made all the difference in the world was having sleep and helping protect our sleep mm-hmm. and then the baby's sleep and then having kind of a rhythm throughout the day. And then, of course, some of the very typical advice that we all get often as new parents, but I would add we don't often listen to, particularly as women, is really allowing people to help us. It means that if you're someone who always liked to, to really run a tight ship in a super clean house, that you really learn to let go. And I do remember a couple of times my mother-in-law saying to me, Kim, go upstairs and take a nap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we need a rest. No, I have 5,000 things to do. Yeah. Like, no, really go upstairs and take a nap. Because, of course, you get cranky and you, you're not very productive anyways when you're overtired. And that, that and also when people come over really besides the people who just want to Google over your cute baby, really asking them for help. Mm-hmm. Could you bring over some groceries? Because really, it's those kinds of things you need more than will you hold the baby for me, mm-hmm. which is usually what they want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which they could do, but I'd love it if you could help me into the dishwasher, bring over some groceries, do those kinds of things that, that help, particularly if you've had a difficult labor and delivery and you're more in, you're in bed more, or, and or I would say if you have a baby who, who's colic and crying a lot, then you're really going to need a lot of support. Mm-hmm. So I think plan, planning on that 
and finding ways as best as possible to stay connected with your husband and encouraging your husband to find ways to soothe the newborn Mm -hmm. um, is really important. I think sometimes we as moms just sort of take over that, that that's our job. Mm -hmm. And we really want dad to be able to do that too. Absolutely. Uh, So that we could go take a shower or go to a doctor's appointment or God forbid, go have lunch with a friend or a cup of coffee or something Mm. (laughs) in terms of getting out. So I think those things were important. And I still remember the first time that I went away. Now, of course, my older daughter was not a newborn when I did that, but Mm -hmm. she was a baby, like I think maybe nine months old. And I had written down everything, even though, you know, my husband was a very involved father. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I came home, like the house was a wreck. (laughs) And the baby was happy, which was the most important. Mm -hmm. And my husband was happy, but he was like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. (laughs) Right. He he got, he stepped into into your shoes for a day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, there's that typical thing where for a lot of us as women, especially in the beginning part, when we're home, hopefully on some form of maternity leave, paid or unpaid in the United States, mostly unpaid, Mm -hmm. that we end up feeling like, when, when our partner comes home and, and we might not be showered um, and there's definitely nothing ready for, for dinner that we might feel like, well, I, I, I promise you, honey, I've really been busy all day. <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> to imagine that this little tiny person <laughs> could sit and take up so much time and energy, but, but they really can. Yes. Now, you are definitely the, the sleep lady and an expert with babies. How can a mother and a father continue to delight in their baby and to help support healthy sleep habits for the baby as you are also trying to balance your work life and maintain that consistency for your baby? Can you help us understand how couples on the call that are dealing with that or will be dealing with that, how they can balance those important aspects of the baby's life and your own livelihood as a career woman slash mother slash father. Yeah. So I sort of divided up into kind of two groups in terms of two groups of tips that I would offer. One is for when you're home with your newborn. And then the other one would be, because I'm hoping that everyone takes at least a few weeks off after they have a baby. and not going back two weeks later, I I hope, although I know our country is so behind on maternity leaves. So with the first group, when when you're first home, most most of the time when we're pregnant, we, and with our first, we have no idea what to really expect. Not to mention your own body healing from the labor and delivery, but just how much the baby, for instance, cries. And how much, how often they need to eat and how sleep deprived we will be in the beginning that there's sort of no way to avoid. I remember I used to do talks to pregnant moms and I stopped doing it because I realized that, that they didn't really get what I was talking about until they had the baby. And then they're like, oh my goodness, I get it now, Kim, Mm. that because it seems that that sleep is inherent, right? Like, so what do you mean a baby has to learn how to put themselves to sleep? 
Don't they just do that? And, and in the beginning, they do by us putting them to sleep. Like, for instance, breastfeeding helps us both secrete so many wonderful hormones to help baby and mom go to sleep and back to sleep. And then as the baby gets older, they, their sleep cycles change. They have deeper sleep and they have more complete, they're sort of awake more. So I'm going to get to that in a minute. So let's just go back to the newborn. So I think the best thing for us to do as parents is to have realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. For instance, of course, that babies cry on average up to three hours a day, 24 mm -hmm. hours per day, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking there must be something wrong with my baby. Uh, when they're, they're just up, talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And again, you're, you're learning to get to know this little person. Um, that you've been given and know and you're sort of figuring out their needs and and whenever the baby cries I always suggest like so you look at your sort of checklist in your mind well are they hungry when's the last time they ate how long have they been awake are they hot cold sick overstimulated and then respond accordingly and then also I think the big there are big task if you will is besides, of course, as I said to you before, sleeping, taking naps, sleeping when the baby sleeps. But I think your big task in terms of sleep with your newborn is to help with day-night confusion. I won't go over all of the steps for that, but please know that that internal clock that we all have, our circadian rhythm, is not developed in a baby until around three, really maybe four months of age. We are their external clock. Mm. That means that at night and at bedtime, we quiet the environment in our home. We turn down the shades because one of the things that helps our body clock re regulate is darkness and social cues, i.e. bedtime routine type thing. So that you help them with that. And then during the day, in the morning, you t open the shades, you turn on the light, and ideally you even, if there's nice weather where you are, go out for a walk to help that, that clock. And then some of the obvious tips you'll hear being more engaging and playful during the day and night feedings to be, you know, quiet, more business-like feeding, changing the diaper, kisses, and, and back to sleep. And that will begin to sort of help that shift that. So you don't see a baby sleeping, you know, six hours during the day and then up every two to three hours throughout the night. Mm -hmm. which can happen if you don't help direct things a little bit, gently mm -hmm. direct them. Mm -hmm. The other part of realistic expectations is, yes, newborns need a lot of sleep during the day, but it's a huge variability between baby to baby. So as an example, the National Sleep Foundation, in their recent study, said that newborn sleep range uh, is, has been narrowed to 14 to 17 hours um, over the course of the day, which includes naps. Mm -hmm. which is a lot of sleep, but 14 to 17 hours is a three-hour difference. So try as best as possible not to compare your newborn sleep with the other women in the, in the mom's group you might be in. It mm -hmm. really is vastly different in the first six months of life. And then we see more fatter bell curve, if you were, bigger averages, less variabil variability after six months of age. So as much as possible, don't do that. Uh, compare, which you're going to do amongst a lot of things. I just would encourage you to try to be kind to yourself. 
mm-hmm. and not do that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And then get day sleep in terms of naps because night sleep develops before day sleep. So you'll, you might be upset if your baby is taking five 45 minute naps when you hear about this other mom, like, oh, well, my, my baby sleeps two, two hours at a time, like three or four times a day. Like, don't panic. And also don't panic about how you get them to sleep for the day. You can't spoil your baby um, in, you know, as a, as a newborn and just get day sleep in any way that you can. And remember that the self-soothing skills needed to learn how to put yourself to sleep don't start to become developed until four to six months of age. Mm. So that's why they also say that there's no such thing as spoiling them. And it's okay to hold them to sleep in the beginning and do what you can. Now, if your baby's a baby that's learned to suck their hands sooner than the average baby or rolling, maybe they will learn it earlier, but you can't sort of count on it. There's none of this like, oh, look at that. They're eight weeks old. Now they should sleep 12 hours at night. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of blanket statements, I think, really set us up as parents because mm. uh, there's such a variability. Yeah. So, now, how can um, a mother or father help teach their, their baby to self-soothe at that four-month window so that that transition is, is easier for the baby and for the couple? I don't think that it quite, well, I think it has to, you have to determine whether your baby is, is ready to start gentle sleep coaching between four and six months of age. Usually you have to get, and, and really that's like a much bigger question than we could talk about here um, completely. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that there's a big change in the sleep cycles around four months. And so you see you will also sometimes see the four-month sleep regression, which is where kind of all the wheels fall off the bus. It feels like you're like, oh, they were sleeping so much better. Now, why are they waking up five times instead of two times during the night? Mm-hmm. And this is often because of all the things that are happening developmentally to your baby. So you kind of have to go through the regression and then address the sleep. Mm-hmm. Some babies, particularly these sort of like angel, easy, easy quote-unquote babies, which there's no way to make your baby an e- easy baby. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. kind of born with their temperament. Those babies may kind of naturally fall into easier sleep habits, but you can't, there's no way to make your baby get them earlier, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I do think that if you have a very loose framework throughout your day, so for instance, if you've helped with the day-night confusion in the first few months, that then by the time, like usually somewhere around three, probably closer to four months, when the sleep cycles start to change and the baby starts to secrete and produce their own melatonin, you might start to see a very loose framework of a quote-unquote schedule. Like, oh, they seem to start to wake up, be ready for their day at 7.30 a.m., When that's not the case when they're much younger, they'll feed and go back to sleep. And it's really easy to just have that happen all day long, 24-hour period. So Mm -hmm. you'll start to see this schedule. And then you'll say, oh, and look, they tend to have a nap in two hours. Oh, I I notice now that, you know, they used to want to go to bed at 10 o'clock, but it's getting earlier. They're getting to be really fussy at eight or seven. And so you watch for those cues with your baby and then you follow those cues so that you start to 
make sure that they're up by 7.30 and that you've moved the bedtime earlier and you're watching. You don't want your baby to get overtired because an overtired baby will have more trouble going to sleep and stay asleep. So then let's say we see this sort of gentle framework and we're like, you know what, this is, this is going okay. We're waking up, we're having feeding, there's a nap, there's maybe a couple more feedings and then another nap and some cluster feeding in the late afternoon, early evening, and then a couple more tinier naps and then uh, bedtime. And if you feel like, oh, this is working okay that then you can start to, again, if, you, if your baby's ready, uh, and a lot of parents will know intuitively too if their baby seems ready, you could start to put the baby down more wakeful at bedtime. Or one of the ways you could do it is you can put them down sleepy, very, very sleepy, and then kind of rub them and jiggle them to a little bit more roused state, and then you stay there and help them, pat them as an example, and soothe them back to sleep. And then you can start doing it a little bit, you know, more and more awake each time. Very, you could do these things very gradually. Mm. Uh, now, where, what upsets the complete apple cart is if you have a baby that's either colic or has reflux. And then I tell parents, you know what, in the beginning, just do whatever you need to do to survive, mm. to reduce the crying. Of course, make sure you've ruled out, you know, underlying medical conditions. If your baby has reflux and your doctors have determined that, you know, discuss with them whether medication is the right option and get the pain resolved. Mm. And then after once all of that is in order and you feel like, okay, my baby's ready for, and I feel ready to help teach them how to put themselves to sleep from a wakeful state, then you always start at bedtime after a great day of naps, any way you can get it. Mm. And when's an appropriate time, more or less? When does that transition, when does that transition typically happen? Age-wise? Age-wise or... Yeah, as I was saying earlier, it really depends on the temperament of your baby Mm -hmm. and sort of where they are developmentally. Um, So I, I would have to say between four and six months. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to have to give such a big range, but that's realistic. Absolutely. I, I, I just, I feel concerned for parents who are told, the, oh, by 12 weeks, they must be doing this. Right. You know, it's limited yeah, because I, every baby's different. Exactly. But believe me, parents will hear that. And then, the, and they'll hear it in, in very conflicting. Mm-hmm. So, which as we all know, we, that's when we become paralyzed. With, Mm -hmm. well, now I don't know what to do. Right. And whenever you feel that way as a new parent, I think you always go, go to your heart and go to your baby. What does my heart, my intuition, my gut say? You know your baby best. Mm -hmm. You know, so often I'll have parents of a newborn call me and say, Kim, we were told he needs to be on a schedule and he shouldn't be eating during the night. And because at this, and I've heard every single pound at 12 pounds, 13 pounds, 14 pounds, 15 you know, that therefore this should ha- suddenly happen or 12 weeks or 16 weeks or whatever it is. And so I always say, well, what do you think? How do you, what do you think about your baby? Yes, I've heard all of those formulas. And yes, sometimes they apply and sometimes they don't. Do you think that your baby is ready to go throughout the night given how much they eat during the day and their, and their health and their weight and their temperament? Do you think they're ready? 
Mm-hmm. And most of the time, the parent will say to me, they'll either they'll have a definitive feeling and it might not be in alignment with the other advice that they're given. And I always go with their feeling mm. because now, they're going to be more likely to follow through mm-hmm. um, and feel less stressed about it. And And honestly, like I don't, I think that there's plenty of babies under six months old, really even under nine months old who need one feeding or at least one feeding during the night. Now, I'm curious, it, it seems that a lot of these, obviously at the beginning, the beginning stage when the baby is is new and you're you're a, getting attuned to their signals and their cues yeah. and, and really being in alignment with them and their rhythm, and you have to really be present and navigate that with them so that they maintain that stability in that transition for the couples on the call, for those mothers that want to spend that time to dedicate to be with the baby, to create a, a consistent sleep cycle for their baby, how long is that time period typically before they transition into going back to work and substituting somebody else to help continue to maintain that, that rhythm so it's as smooth as possible for the baby? Some of that... Uh- Unfortunately, it's not like so cut and dry because, well, first of all, what if, what if I tell you, which is true, that it takes three to four months for that internal circadian rhythm to begin to be formed for a newborn, but you only have a six-week maternity leave. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's realistic as a new mom to say, okay, well, as long as I have four months, then I'll be able to accomplish all of these things in that time. And then it will make it smoother because life happens and maybe you get a baby with reflux or colic or, um, and it throws it all out. But I, but I would say this, and that is that if you have the realistic expectations we talked about earlier and you know that that internal clock starts to develop somewhere, and it's pretty vague like this, the science, between the third and fourth month, and you start to see those cues that I talked about where like, oh, they start to wake up at 7 a.m. and start their day and they need a nap about an hour and a half, two hours later, you follow those cues and you basically try to avoid an overtired baby. Some of the other things you would do is make sure that they're not awake more than hour to two hours. That's about as long as a newborn can stay awake before getting overtired. And so you kind of create a framework within your day based on their napping and their eating Mm -hmm. so that, and then you as mom being home every day doing that for even if it's just six weeks or if it's three and a half months or four months, you'll start to get a sense of, oh, this is what happens. So baby wakes up at 7 a.m., takes naps at these times and feeds approximately at these times. Not, I'm not talking about a hard and fast schedule, but you notice a rhythm in your day and you notice that the bedtime has started to move earlier. Then you, then you respond. You can respond accordingly. And then when you have someone else take care of the baby, whether you're bringing your baby to an in-home daycare setting or a center or uh, a nanny's coming in or grandparents helping out, you would have that person, well, when they come or you drop your baby off, you'd say, oh, little Ryan woke up at seven this morning. He's probably going to need his nap at around 8.30 to nine this morning. Mm -hmm. The same for whoever's coming to your home. 
And so then when you get home or when you go to pick up your child, your question, of course, always besides is, you know, saying hi to the baby and how did, how did the day go is you, you should ask them how much did he eat, how many times, and if, you know, obviously it would be probably, you know, be a bottle of express milk or formula. How many ounces did he eat and how, what were his naps today? Mm what time and how long, and then you can gauge your evening, right? Mm -hmm. So you can say, "Uh uh-oh, he's really nap deprived today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hope he falls asleep in the car on the Mm -hmm. way home. Or we're going to, if it's a really short drive, we're going to go for a stroller walk. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get a little, as I call like a bonus nap in there, so that when we put him down at whether it's 7 or 8 p.m., he's not on vapors and crying, not able to feed well and difficulty going to sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's always super helpful. I would even add that what if the parent, if there are pregnant moms on the call, that they kind of interview whoever's going to be caring for their child, whether it's the center in the home and find out for particularly centers, where do newborns sleep? Mm-hmm. And is there a quiet area? Do they dim the lights? Or are there other older toddlers running around? Are they okay with that your newborn will have to sleep for four times, nap, let's say four times during the day? Are they willing to, like, for instance, let's say they say, well, you know, we, we don't, we don't want Ryan to cry when he's here and we put him in the crib. We, we will hold him to sleep or we'll put him in a bouncy or a swing. You just want to find those things out. And then if that's the case, then you'd say, okay, well, if you hold him to sleep and and then you put him down in the safe crib uh, and he wakes up and it's only been 20 minutes, would you hold him back to ask little things about that? Like what's their stance on sleep? And when the baby's one years old, do they automatically have to go to one nap as opposed to following the baby's cues? So those are not to get off on other, Mm. we could have a whole session on care nannies and um, in-home providers. That sort of helps set, set your stage at night as the parent. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, depending on what's happened in the first three or four months of life and, and the health and temperament of the baby, you may or may not have to sleep coach them afterwards. Lots of times parents have to wait until it's really bad and they're really tired before they're willing to make any changes. Because maybe, for instance, they were able to hold their baby to sleep at bedtime, put them into their, their crib or co-sleeper. And then, you know, they woke up a couple times during the night, they fed them and they went back to sleep and that seemed manageable. Mm-hmm. I, as the sleep expert, don't determine whether you have a problem. Mm-hmm. You, you determine that and then I help you. And um, what's the age range that you typically work with parents? How old are the, are the children from what age to what age? Four and a half months to six months is about assessing what the baby is ready for and what they're not ready for Mm -hmm. in terms of sleep coaching. And then six months to six years of age Mm. um, is when they're really ready for pretty much everything, nap coaching and night coaching. So I have one last question. Do we have time for one more? Yeah. Okay, great. So as the child ages, as they get older, how can a, a husband and wife help facilitate that process as a team, as a partnership, when, as they age, to help settle them into sleep? What sort of rituals and routines can be helpful with kids that maybe 
want to stay up, they don't want to go to sleep or wake up early or that sort of thing. How how do you coach parents as a child ages, as they turn one, two, three, all the way to six? I think that like in anything in parenting, it's really essential that we as a couple or partners are a united front, mm-hmm. right? So there's the typical advice I'm sure you give in your work with, with couples that if there is a disagreement, you should go into the other room and not argue in front of the kids, ideally, or the babies, and then come out as a united front. Even though you might not agree, you've at least agreed to what you're, how you're going to present and how you're going to move forward. I think that's true with sleep coaching, too that a lot of times couples argue about whose fault it is that the child's not sleeping. And sometimes they just have to get that off their chest. And then I help them move to, okay, so now let's talk about a plan to improve it. And then let's make, uh, and then let's support each other through the process. Sort of doesn't matter how we got here. Here we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're all doing the best we can as parents. And now let's work together and support each other in sleep coaching the child. And then we continue to make sleep a priority. You know, we're learning more and more about the importance of sleep in our health as adults and in our children, but particularly with our children because they are learning learning and growing at a much faster rate than we are. And sleep is an essential component to that. So really making sleep a priority, which means that you have pretty set bedtimes. And you're united and support each other as parents with that. And so that you kind of schedule your day around, well, you know, but bedtime's at 7 or bedtime's at 8 p.m. or whatever it is. I mean, of course, there's going to be the occasional later night. You went to a barbecue, you went to a birthday party. But in general, uh, you try to stay focused on that. And that includes keeping naps a priority. Lots of times parents have to get their baby or child really nap deprived and have a horrible night as a result for them to say, wow, that wasn't worth the Saturday doing a hundred errands. And we got very little naps because last night was horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, making sleep a priority. And the thing that's really, you know, beautiful about sleep is that when your child, once they're ready, it is able to sleep through the night it is the biggest, it's the most incredible gift. You realize how much you miss your sleep. And <laughs> it all, you know, it's really, it's, it could be one of those MasterCard commercials. Um, right. And then so many parents tell me like, we thought we were on the verge of divorce or we were really not happy and fighting all the time. And I, I've had so many couples say, you know, that it saved their marriage doing the sleep coaching and all. And one couple I remember said, we put, we put her baby down and there she was, she was asleep in like, you know, five minutes, little chitty chatting after the end of sleep coaching and sleeps through the night. And we went downstairs and it was seven thirty, and we, and we looked at each other and said, well, now what do we do? Now let's get to continue to get to know each other a little exactly. bit more. <laughs> Reconnect. Reconnecting. You know, they had been spending all hours up and down for so many months or sometimes years that they had to, to reconnect. And, and, I, and, and even though it's a very small side point, you know, once your child knows how to put themselves to sleep, you can, for instance, go on a date night 
Mm-hmm. So um, important. Yeah. It's important. You know, it's super important that you keep your friendship, you, you have your relationship with your partner outside of a parent with them. I just think I'm biased, but I think sleep is everything. <laughs> yes, it opens up a lot of possibilities for the couple and for the quality of life of the baby, too. I just want to add one last thing, Andrea, that, that I think parents, it would really be wonderful for them to hear. And that is that as much as possible about trying to be gentle on yourself and shut out people's judgments and unsolicited advice and criticism, I guess I would also say that if your family is happy in whatever way you all choose to sleep, then you don't have a problem. As long as you're doing it safely and everybody's happy, meaning everyone in the family is happy and getting rested uh, or getting rest and, and is having safe sleep, then, then you don't have a problem. And then the other thing is that, that you have choices it, in sleep coaching. It doesn't have to be do nothing, suffer, this is the cross you have to bear, or leave your child to cry it out and worry about the emotional damage. There are gentler methods. And so don't feel trapped. And I would encourage you to, to, to reach out to explore that. Great and wonderful, Kim. You have a very special free gift to our audience. Can you share what that is and, and how they can access it? Yes. If you have a baby or are going to be having a baby in you know the next month or so, but your baby is under six months, you can go to gentlebabysolutions.com and there's a free newborn crash course, sleep crash course there. If you have a baby over six months, you can get the first two chapters of my book for free. My book is Good Night Sleep Tight. And you can go to sleeplady.com. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Kim. This is such a a fruitful conversation. I I really appreciated it. Thank you, Andrea. Great. Once again, I'm your host, Andrea Carella with True Potential Counseling. And just to recap what we covered on today's show with Kim, what happens to couples after the baby arrives and how to maintain a strong relationship with your partner, how to delight in your baby and help support healthy sleep habits, having realistic expectations for your baby and sleep, and how to promote healthy sleep habits for your baby and as your child ages so that it doesn't negatively interfere in your marriage. Thank you so much, and I look forward to connecting with you again tomorrow. We have another amazing interviewee that will be part of the Create a Relationship You Love Summit series. I can't wait to connect with you tomorrow. Take care.